Well, I tell you what, I hope you have come to praise the Lord today. We have a great beginning in our preparation, our focus on integrating all of the music and all the different elements of worship, I pray, will lead you to a time to connect with God. Today, we do want to experience Him. If this is the very first time that you have been here, we would ask you to take the guest card that's in the pew in front of you and just fill it out in its entirety. And when you get ready to leave, just put it in the offering boxes when you uh, depart. We would certainly appreciate that. We have a number of amazing opportunities in the next two weeks to have experiences with God that can have a profound impact in your life. And I hope and pray that you'll take advantage of each and every one of them. And I pray that you will also prepare yourself to meet him at each and every service that we have, each and every gathering where we gather together, because I believe that God is going to be bringing his spirit in a mighty way as we prepare. So I just want you to anticipate that. Pray toward it and prepare yourself. Join me, please. Father, thank you for the time that we have gathered here today. And we are excited about what the choir has sung and led us in to praise you. And God, I pray with our voices, with our ears and our heart, Father, with everything that we are, that we will praise you in word and in deed. Father, I pray this morning that we will experience you in a very special and unique way for us. Father, you will speak to us individually as well as the body, the family of faith. And I pray, God, that we'll be listening. I ask you that where we have hurts and where we have disappointments, where we have brokenness, where we have conflicts, where we have sin, God, we would be able to face them today, and not by ourselves, but with the power of your Spirit who lives within us, and that we can overcome those, and Father, be encouraged to move forward, to praise you in any and every circumstance. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a video, uh, Annie Armstrong, Easter Offering for North American Missions. We have some 2,200 missionaries in North America. They are planning churches, they're doing evangelism, they are training and encouraging people in a wide area that we will never see. We talk about that in the international mission field, but right here in North America, there are some 270 million people that are estimated to be lost without a personal relationship with Christ. And we've got these missionaries every single day, they're out there doing the work in communities like uh, the Phoenix area as well as up in Canada, islands, Father, there, there are so many different avenues. And my prayer is, as you watch this video, that God would encourage you to continue to pray for them, to be willing to give as well. Our, uh, our goal is some, something over $13,000, and to date I think we have just over $7,200 that have been given. And I ask that you would be encouraged as we go from now until Easter to try to reach our goal just because 100% of those funds go directly to the field to do the ministry. And that's who we are. It's an extension of us. So watch the video and continue to be in prayer if you would. Denver is such a beautiful place, but it's a very lonely place. People are just looking for community. 
there is one marijuana dispensary for every 2,000 people, one brewery for every 7,000, and one evangelical church for every 32,000 people. And the Lord has just like softened my heart to that. And I'm like, I have to go. A journeyman is a recently graduated college student who then serves for two years in a city to help support the church plant that needs help um, and needs more resources to further their mission. And so my biggest thing as journeymen is relationships, taking time to hear someone's story and hear what needs they have and just like be friends with them without a hidden agenda. Like with PlaceBridge Academy, which is a refugee magnet school, there was people praying that there would be strong believers come into that community and reach them. We actually found out that one of their community directors there at the school is a believer. And she was the door into letting us come in and serve their community. We are reaching 40 different countries in one place. There is so much work to be done and so few laborers to help do it. Like that's why I pour my heart and soul into these mission teams. That they can just like catch a little bit of vision of what's going on here so more of them will come. I felt like it was just yesterday that I was a college student and I gave God this blank check and truly gave up control. And he's brought me here.
how great thou art. May we pray. Lord, take me back to the time that I first received you. Take me back, Lord, to the time that I first believed. Lord, this is my prayer for, for us today. Take us back to that time, the excitement we had when we asked you to come into our heart and life and be our Savior. Lord, we're coming to a really important part in the life of a Christian in the next two weeks. Holy Week, where we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the gift you have given us of your only begotten Son, who took upon his life the cross, bore our sins, Thank you, Lord, for this ultimate gift. Bless us now, Lord, as we go further into our service. May we indeed feel your presence. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. Blessed be your name, Lord. Would you stand as we sing together? Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
as we continue to sing that old favorite hymn, I'm Saved, Saved, Saved. Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Please follow along in the Pew Bible or the screen. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and give us understanding hearts as we think thereon today. These are the words of the Lord. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, these are the words we read. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. I'd like us to sing together, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, followed by More Precious Than Silver. You are 
like us to do that again, a cappella, focusing on those lyrics. Lord, you When my dad was young, probably in grade school, they took a trip. And I don't know if any of you might have recalled any of these kinds of motels, but you had a little cottage, one room, and you had a carport right next to the cottage. Anybody remember those? Okay, all right. They were not the Marriott or the Hilton, to say the least. But for folks that didn't have much money and uh, wanted to get from point A to point B and not spend the night, which they did at times, put a tent up by the side of the road, they uh, explored this new experience. My dad had been a grade schooler and uh, they were homesteading out in western New Mexico. There wasn't a lot that they understood. They didn't have electricity. And uh, my father was intrigued as a little boy by this light socket that was in the, 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 the top and the, the ceiling of, the, uh, of where the car goes in. And uh, he thought, gosh, I wonder, I wonder what that does. There wasn't a light bulb in it. He had not really seen one of those before, I guess. And the way he tell, told the story is that he kind of climbed up on that old I suppose it was a Model T of some kind, climbed up on that and just glared at that socket. And he thought to himself, I wonder if I put my finger in there, what would happen? <laughs> and so he did, and he says that he was motivated to move. <laughs> There's a lot of those first experiences like that in our lives that motivate us to get our attention, catapults us somewhere. And that's exactly what happened to him. And I wonder where we can find the motivation to be able to transform members into people who are ministers of reconciliation. From just people that call themselves Christians and are, but that's pretty much where it stands. How do we motivate ourselves to become more of what God wants us to be, as we've been talking over the last, the last four weeks, as the people of God, gifted by God, to take on that ministry of reconciliation? I think many times a lack of motivation stems from a limited understanding of the salvation relationship. 
We've emphasized God's gift and God's grace, both of which are correct. But I'm not sure that we have given adequate emphasis to God's call to his people to minister. Now that's been our focus over these weeks, but I think across Christendom, that really has not been a focal point. What is authentic faith? Now faith is a fundamental part of being saved. There is absolutely nothing in the total religious experience that is more important than authentic faith. Faith is a fundamental part of being saved. It's who we are. And our problem is that in churches across this nation and beyond, our emphasis has been on exercising faith rather than understanding faith. To understand authentic faith, we've got to understand salvation. We've always said that salvation is a gift. We've talked about that from this pulpit. The scripture says that it is by grace that we're saved. Grace. That's on the basis of God's unmerited favor, not one thing that we did to deserve it, no matter how good we are. In our scripture today, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, the very first part of verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace, unmerited favor, that you have been saved through faith. You see, it's God who takes the initiative for this salvation on our behalf. We had no power to do that, but God is the one that took the action. It's, it's by grace, His grace, not ours. In fact, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated. God saw our lostness and he's the one that took the initiative and demonstrated his faith in us through his love for us. And even though we didn't clean ourselves up to come to him, he didn't require that. Still, in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. He initiated it. We see that beautifully illustrated in Luke chapter 15. He talks about it, and, and Jesus said that the father is like a shepherd. That shepherd has lost one of its sheep. And he's so concerned about that one sheep that he leaves all the others to go find that one. The father demonstrated, took the initiative. He was concerned about you and every other person that is lost without Christ, that is in the midst of their sin, he took the initiative like the shepherd did. He said he's like the woman who searches diligently for that lost coin, looking at every crevice, sweeping every direction, frantically looking for that lost coin because of love. And that's how he searched for you said he is like a father who yearns for his strained son, the one that took off 
riotous living as such. Constantly, day after day, searching the horizon, waiting for that sun to come back. They're always gazing and looking for the one that was lost. You see, God is the one who took the initiative, not because of how good you are, not because of what you have, and not what you can do for his kingdom, but because of his love, he presented grace in the midst of our sin. So not only is salvation by an act of God and from the initiative of God, it is a gift. We do not merit that gracious gift, neither can we earn it by gifts of righteousness. Constantly, I talk to people and about their salvation, and they say, well, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I have enough stuff, righteousness, good works, good deeds, when I get there. And the judge can put it on the scale, and hopefully there will be more good than bad. And it has nothing to do with that. That's a lie from Satan himself. It is by grace. It's a gift, and we can't earn it. The brokenness in our lives caused by sin can be healed only by an act of God. It is his gift. Now here's a question about this gift. Is it, that is salvation, conditional or unconditional? Well, that's kind of an interesting question. We seem to either feel consciously or unconsciously that if a condition is attached, then something very significant has been taken away from the giftedness of salvation. So many would say, no, it's, it's unconditional. Salvation is a gift. There are no strings attached. But in reality, what we mean when we say salvation is a gift is that salvation is all the work of God. Not anything on our part, right? <laughs> Look again at Ephesians chapter 2. The latter part of verse 8 and verse 9 says this is not from yourselves it is a gift of God and not by works you see this gift is all of God it's not a joint endeavor the gift he offers you is simply all his he's the only one that could ever offer it there's no other avenue no other alternative you either are with him or you are against him. Paul said in Romans 6.23, the latter part, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift, unmerited favor, that gift that we can't earn, it comes through Christ and gives us eternal life. We believe an individual comes into an authentic relationship with God through Christ only on the basis of a free, conscious, and self-chosen decision and will. This week, uh, 
I met with someone that was doing some work for us. And in my conversation with this individual, found out that, uh, that his wife had died um, within the last few years. And it's still been a difficult time for him. And he talked about um, what happened and, and how she died and the pain that he was going through, but that she would constantly read the Bible every night, even in the midst of the severe pain that she was in. It made an impression on him. And he said, you know, I know that she is in a better place, and I hope to see her again. And so I talked to this gentleman, and I said, well, what do you mean you hope to see her again? And so we began this discussion about where his relationship was. And I just began to share with him that, you know what, it's, it's not about money that you give. It's not about your attendance in a church or your membership in a church. It's not about your baptism. You see, all of those things are important, and we are, should be engaged in that as a believer in Christ. But let me share with you, the only way that you will see her again is Christ and Christ alone. He thought for a minute, and he looked at me, and he said, yeah, I believe that. So I can go through and change that, I hope to see her again, to I will see her again. You see, the gift is conditional. Where we might automatically say it's unconditional, the fact is, it is conditional because the individual must make the choice to receive Christ into their lives. Because Jesus will not force his way in. He will not force you to make that decision. It is all him. He does it all. But we, we make the final decision on whether we're going to have that relationship or not. I always go back and, and think of Jesus and the rich young ruler and how the ruler came and said, I, how can I have life everlasting? Jesus said, well, follow the Ten Commandments. He said, I have, all the way from childhood up. Jesus said, well, I want you to sell everything. Come follow me. And the man who evidently was wealthy, the scripture says, he turned away and he walked away. And the scripture says that Jesus was saddened because he turned away. He had the choice. To state the matter from God's perspective, there is a condition that must be met before God can or will give his gift of salvation. And that is the person's decision. To receive Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. So let's kind of dig down a little farther in that condition. Let's understand that condition more. 
The central condition for salvation, a salvation relationship, is for the individual to have faith or to believe. If you remember the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, he said to these disciples, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your entire household. Now, there seems to be a bit of a linguistic problem. The Greek word for in the noun form of faith is pistis. The verb form of faith is pistuo. And both words come from the same root word. And here's where the problem comes in. In our English language, we do not have a verb for the verb form of the word faith. And so those who translated the scriptures into the English in the 1611 King James Version, they used the word believe for the verb form of faith. And you know, that really wouldn't be a problem with the exception that the word believe has changed in the last 411 years. In 1611, the word believe meant to hold dear, to give one's allegiance to, to give oneself to. And so in their translation, the meaning was right on. It was committing oneself to another, like as into a marriage relationship. The meaning of the word was highly personal, and it had a, a depth of relationship to it. But today, 400 or so years later, the word believe has primarily come to mean a cognitive mental acceptance of some proposal. It's more of an intellectual belief. Now look at the two definitions. To hold dear, to give one's allegiance to, to give oneself to entirely. To have a cognitive understanding, a cognitive belief, a, a mental acceptance, an intellectual belief that's all here. Those are two very different meanings. And so today, in 2022, we've got to view that word differently. So to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just to have a cognitive, intellectual understanding. We actually have to come to a place where we give our entire self, our entire allegiance to Christ. And it changes the dynamic. Sometimes we begin to view salvation as a status instead of a dynamic relationship. That would be an intimate love relationship with God through Christ. Otherwise, we get to the place where we say, well, uh, in my point of salvation, did I, did I say the right words? Did I really ask him to come in? Did I really mean it when I walked down the aisle? But when you have a dynamic relationship, it changes everything. You don't have to worry about did I because it has transformed your life. And it has engaged you now 
in the realm of ministry, God's calling upon you. Theologian and professor Dr. Frank Stagg years ago stated, but the relationship between the individual and Christ is so intimate, so personal, so dynamic, that it is beyond anything known within the native family. You know how close some of our families are? Frank, I think uh, you told me that uh, this week you and, and Betty are going to celebrate your 66th wedding anniversary. 60, that's longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Just think of those 66 years, the experiences that they've had together, the dynamic relationship over the course of time. Nothing always perfect, but just always committed. You have given your allegiance to, you are focused upon that spouse. That is exactly, to a greater degree, what we're talking about in our relationship with Christ. We know how, how deep those marriage relationships are in our, our family. Dr. Stagg says, what we're talking about between the individual and Christ it is beyond even that. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. Isn't that something? He wants our complete allegiance. He wants to be the director of our lives. You say, well, why, why should I do that? I want to I make my own decisions. And he's given you that free will. But without him, your eternal destiny is going to be separated from God for all in eternity. He wants the very best for you. And when you give yourself over to Him with the depth of that dynamic relationship and you allow that relationship to grow and to deepen, it completely transforms you. You can feel His heartbeat. You know what He's saying. You know that you're a person on mission. So what does it mean to be related to Christ? Well, our personal relationship with Christ must be in terms of something. And right now, maybe it's in terms of what Christ can do for us. And that could be for salvation. If today you wanted to give your life to Christ, that's what he can do for me. You might be going through something very difficult in your life, and it might be that right now, Christ, I need you right now in my life, in this situation. That may be where our relationship is right now. That's kind of where the second verse of that great song, My Jesus, I Love You, it pinpoints it. I love him, I love him because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary's tree. We say, I love him because of what he's done for me. And that's something we ought to love him for.
But that something should be because of who he is and what he's about. That makes him worthy of love. So if I'm going to be authentically related to God, we must not only be related to him in terms of what he gives, but also we must be related to him in terms of what he's about and who he is. And what is he about? His mission in the world. That's what he's about. And what is that mission? Why did he send Christ? Well, there are five Great Commission passages that are laid out right before us. John 20, 21 said, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. To do what? To go share life through Christ. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's very simple. That's his mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of this age. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, Jesus said, This is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay into the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when that happened, they went to the four corners of the known world. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. It's not just in that relationship what Jesus can do for us. That he encourages us through the most difficult times. That is important. That is vital as we grow in our relationship with him. We want him to walk beside us. We want him to encourage us. But in addition to that, authentic faith is a faith that emphasizes the gift of salvation and the personal relationship with God in which God, a person, accepts God and fulfills the call of God in terms of who he is and what he's about. In other words, he came to seek you and to save you. And he called you to the ministry of reconciliation so that you would go as you were going to share that good news to everyone. You say, well, I don't know too many lost people. We don't have to go far. And we don't have to be overt, aggressive, in our sharing of the good news. You just have conversations. There's rarely a time when a workman comes to, to my house that I don't engage in some kind of spiritual conversation with them to try to figure out where they are and just briefly, concisely share what Christ has done. And they may accept it or they may not. 
It may affirm them or it may not. But wherever you go, a moment in a grocery store line, heading to the gym to work out, off on the golf course when you're golfing with others, just the ministry of reconciliation, figuring out how can I bring this person into a right relationship with God. That's what the ministry and being a minister of reconciliation is all about. And that's what he's called us to do. Every one of us. And we can do it. We must do it. Authentic faith. You see, the reality is his mission is our commission. Motivation for ministry, using our God-given gifts as the people of God, is found in the true understanding of the conversion experience. That conversion experience is when we gave our life to Christ. When we realized we couldn't do it on our own. And once we made that decision, which he left to us, once he did that, and we chose to ask him to come into our life, it changed. And now for some, it's time to take that next step. And that's to move out of the idea that I'm a Christian and I've, I've got my eternity set and so I'm good to now I need to be on his mission which is sharing that good news to people that need it. And I can do it by planting seeds and building relationships and having conversations with the people that I come into contact with every single day. I'm asking you to make that decision today. You know, you know that you're a child of God, part of the people of God, and he has gifted you, and he has called you, And now it's time to fulfill that call. Proactively, looking for the opportunities. And this morning as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. And as we prepare to look at the symbolism of Christ's sacrifice on the cross at Calvary, that he gave all that I'm asking you as you pray, to commit to give your all your allegiance to him completely take this time to pray
Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity over these weeks to focus our attention on being called by you. And that the salvation that you offer, which is eternal life, Father, it begins right now, the point that we gave our lives to you. But help us to also commit ourselves completely to the ministry that you've given and called and gifted each one of us for. And help us, if we have concern or doubt about if we can accomplish that, to remember what you have done through your son Jesus Christ. As we absorb the Lord's Supper, I pray God as we take the elements that we will be humbled, thankful, grateful for your gracious gift that's all yours given to us. And help us to make our commitment today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Al, I wonder if you might lead us in prayer as we focus upon the bread as the broken body of Christ. Father, Father God, we are so grateful and appreciative of your great finished work that, Father, you loved us so much that you left heaven to come down, Lord, and, and give your life for us. You want to have that fellowship with us, but the state that we was in, it couldn't. So you sent your son, sacrifice him, Lord, that we might have life eternal that we might live out all eternity praising your name. So as we come to partake of this bread, Lord, we thank you for you instituted a new covenant between God and his people. Bless this time, Father, in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. Bill, would you lead us in prayer specifically for the Jews as it relates to the blood of Christ? A hymn that we're all familiar with, Lord, the blood can never lose its power. It's so meaningful to us this day. As we, take, as we do this in remembrance of you, for the blood that you shed for us on Calvary, so that we would have eternal life through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask it. Amen.
Jesus said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Complete sacrifice, total investment. It's what Christ has done for us, and he desires that from us so that the world might know. The scripture says that they sung a hymn, and then they went out. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this invitation hymn. If there's any decision that God has laid upon your heart during this time of worship, I ask you to come and make that decision public. Come ahead. I give all my service to you. I give all my service to you. give all. That's what he desires. Be seated for just a moment. We have a, a couple of announcements we want to give you, and I first I want to say next Sunday, please take every opportunity to come and invite your friends. Sanctuary Choir is going to be presenting the Easter musical, and it is a powerful time. So please, 1030 next Sunday morning, make sure that you, uh, that you come and uh, and be involved in something that God will speak to you about. And as you leave, you notice that there's an insert in the bulletin. We have hundreds out there. We'd like for you to take a handful, give them to all your neighbors, uh, share with them about what's coming up, because it's going to tell everything about the next two weeks, and we want them to come and to hear. Nancy? Men, if you have not signed up for the men's breakfast, which will be Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, you need to do that today. There are sign-up sheets in both lobbies, so please take the opportunity to sign before you leave so there will be enough food for you. Also, church family, I'm asking that you pray specifically for choir members between now and Sunday. Several are missing today because they are ill. We need all voices on deck, so please... Please pray that God would heal those who are ill and also prevent the others from getting ill. We are looking forward to presenting Love Took His Breath Away next Sunday morning. So you will be blessed. We have been blessed as we prepared. Stand if you would. Tina Cruson, one of our faithful choir members, is going to lead us in our closing prayer. Father God, you are the way to the truth and the life. We thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.